July 14, 14 de juillet, en français, is Bastille Day, which marks the start of the French Revolution. Unfortunately, that revolution soon descended into much violence and eventually led to Napoleon becoming emperor. This morning, we want to look at a hero of a different kind of revolution in the Book of Acts. He was one of the first missionaries involved in the early spreading of the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection. Before we read about him in the Bible, I want to describe him to you. His name was Joseph. He was a Levite, a Jewish religious leader. Do you recognize who he is? We'll be looking at several passages this morning, mostly from the book of Acts. And afterward, I will be asking some questions from the text. While I'm reading, please note what is said specifically about this Joseph. Let's start off by reading Acts 4, 34-37, which tells us more about Joseph the missionary. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to those who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. What is said specifically about Joseph in this passage? And what do they these things tell us about him. First of all, we're told that he was a Levite. So that tells us he was a Jewish religious leader who spoke Hebrew. He was also from Cyprus, which was outside of Palestine. That tells us he also spoke Greek. He sold a field. That meant he was a landowner. He had means. He was wealthy. And he sold that field. He laid the money at the apostles' feet. That tells us that he was humble and he submitted to the leader's authority, even though for the most part they were lowly fishermen and he was a Levite and a landowner. His name was Joseph, we're told, but I bet most of you didn't recognize who I was talking about until we read this passage. That's because the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas. Bar means son in, in Aramaic. Barnabas means son of encouragement or encourager. This bar was similar to uh, as in Bartholomew, which means son of Ptolemeo, or Barjona, son of John, or Bar Mitzvah, son of the covenant. So Joseph was called Barnabas, son of encouragement or encourager. The Greek word for encouragement, paraklesin, is related to the word Jesus used for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15, paraclete. It comes from the Greek verb parakaleo, which is used to describe Greek generals who stood alongside their soldiers and encouraged them to keep on fighting, much different than today's generals. Jesus was so humble and such an encourager 
that people forgot his given name. In fact, he's never again called Joseph in the Bible, which is why we don't even recognize him by that name. Imagine people forgetting your name and always in, and always in college, always calling you encourager. Well, let's turn ahead to Acts chapter 9. Little background, Saul, the great persecutor of the church, had contributed to Stephen's stoning, and he was intent to arrest and put to death followers of Jesus in Damascus. He was converted along the road and became a follower of Jesus himself, a disciple. And uh, Dr. Brad Knoll talked about this earlier this summer. I'm going to read Acts chapter 9, 26 to 28. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. After his conversion in Damascus, Saul came to Jerusalem and wanted to meet with the believers there. But understandably, everybody was afraid of him. No one quite believed that he was, had really become a disciple of Jesus. After all, he had left Jerusalem to go uh, arrest Christians in Damascus. So no one wanted to meet with him. But Barnabas, the encourager, took Saul to the apostles. Barnabas told them how Saul had been converted. And after that, Saul was then accepted by the leaders. What do we see here? Barnabas didn't have to do this, but he was willing to take a risk. He defended a young Christian with a former bad reputation. The followers of Jesus in Jerusalem were forced by persecution to spread out. It's interesting, Jesus said they were going to make disciples in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But they stayed in Jerusalem until they were forced out. That tells us sometimes we stay with what's comfortable. So they didn't leave until they were forced to. We see in Acts 11, verses 19 and 20, that some of them went to Antioch, which at the time was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, where they shared about Jesus with Hellenistic Greek-speaking Jews, and even some Gentiles became Christians. I'll read this here, Acts eleven nineteen to 21. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So we see here that those, those scattered Jewish Christians only took the gospel message to Jews. But there were some people who came from Cyprus and Cyrene. That's where 
Barnabas was from. They went to Antioch and they began to tell Greeks also. So this is the beginning of the cross-cultural outreach. So these, uh, uh, they'd become Christians, these Gentiles, and this caused quite a stir. Because remember, up until now, you'd, you had just Jewish Christians. You'd had a few Samaritans become Christians, but they were already, they were circumcised and they were kind of half Jewish. And you'd had the Ethiopian eunuch. But other than that, you hadn't had uh, many Gentiles become Christians, including you'd had Cornelius, who's a God-fearer. But here were people who weren't even God-fearers. They were just pagans, and they were becoming Christians. So, of course, the apostles were quite concerned about this. So they sent Barnabas to check out the situation. This shows us that Barnabas was highly regarded by the apostles that to be given this responsibility. So I'll read this for us. Acts 11, 22 to 24. News of this, which was Gentiles becoming Christians, reached the ears of the church at, ben at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought Saul to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So these verses tell us several things about Barnabas. First of all, when he heard about Gentiles becoming Christians, he was glad because of God's grace. And his response was to encourage them. That was his name, encourager, to be faithful and steadfast. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. This is the same description that was used earlier for Stephen. This shows us that Barnabas was godly. And what was the result of his ministry? Many people came to the Lord. He had a very fruitful ministry. It's interesting to note, though, that was Barnabas satisfied to have such a successful ministry? No. Instead, he went to look for Saul in Tarsus and brought Saul to come help him. This shows that Barnabas was wise. He knew he needed assistance. And also that he was humble because he was willing to share a successful ministry with a relatively unknown colleague as his assistant. What was the result? Together, their ministry was even more fruitful. In Acts 11:27 to 30, we see that famine in Judea was prophesied. So the church in Antioch sent relief to the Jerusalem Christians with Barnabas and Saul. This shows that they were trusted to carry much money. Remember, there was no banking back then. Cash had to be carried with trusted people. In Acts 12, 25, we see that they returned to Antioch from Jerusalem, and they brought with them John Mark, who we learn from Colossians 4.10 was Barnabas' cousin. 
We're going to, I'm going to read Acts 13, 1 to 3, which you may be familiar with. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to, to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Barnabas and Saul and several others in Antioch, including Simeon called Niger, which is the, the Latin word for black, from which we also get Nigerian Niger, which indicates he may have come from black Africa. In any case, they were they're called prophets and teachers, all of these leaders. The Holy Spirit told them to set apart Barnabas and Saul. And the next three chapters, Acts 13, 14, and 15, describe their successful missionary journey together, first to Cyprus, which was Barnabas's home area, and then on to Asia Minor, which today is Turkey. We see in Acts 13, 5, that John Mark was assisting them at first, but uh, a little bit later in 1313, he left them in Pamphylia to go back home to Jerusalem. We aren't ever told why he left, but very possibly because he was homesick, since he was still quite young. In any case, he did leave them, and that becomes more important later on. I'm going to read now Acts 15, 36 to 40. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because uh, John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So at the end of Acts 15, Barnabas and Paul wanted, Saul wanted to go on another missionary journey. Barnabas wanted to take his cousin John Mark with him again, but Paul refused. Why? Because John Mark had deserted them once before. They disagreed so intensely that they split up. Barnabas and Mark returned to Cyprus, which was Barnabas's home area, while Paul and Silas went on to Syria and Cilicia, where Paul's home was in Tarsus. So each of them went to their home area, which is quite interesting. What happened to John Mark after this? We're told that later on he was a faithful companion both of Peter in 1 Peter 5:13 and of Paul in 2 Timothy 4.11. He was also the writer of the book of Mark, which was probably the first gospel written. John Mark showed himself to be trustworthy, but he needed to be given a second chance. Imagine what might have happened or not happened if Barnabas had not been willing to take a risk with John Mark. We see here that we need to have confidence in young Christians and be willing to give them second chances, even if they fail sometimes. 
Also, we need to mentor and disciple young Christians, just as Barnabas did with Saul and Mark and others. Later on, Paul himself discipled many others, including Timothy, who was a lot like John Mark, young and timid, and needed to be encouraged to fan into flame his gifts and to develop as a leader. Acts 13.9 is a key verse, a, a pivotal verse, a turning point. It says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul. Before this verse, the order was always Barnabas and Saul. After this verse, except once in Acts 15.12, after this verse, they're always called Paul and Barnabas. So before this, it's always Barnabas and Saul. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, and afterwards, it was almost always Paul and Barnabas. What has happened? Their relationship has changed. Before this verse, Paul, Barnabas had been the leader, the one who was mentoring and training Saul, his assistant. But after this verse, Paul is now more prominent than Barnabas. The student has surpassed the teacher. Barnabas has gone from being number one to being number two. Do you think that it bothered him? I don't think so, because one, Barnabas was humble enough that he didn't try to hold on to his position. He was also happy to see his disciple mature and grow and eventually surpass him and become independent. Do we rejoice to see young Christians grow in their faith, even if they end up becoming greater or more important than ourselves? Are we who are parents glad to see our own children, physical and or spiritual, growing up and beyond our own sphere of influence? Or do we try to hold on to our authority in higher positions and keep them under this? I know I personally struggle with this a bit with my own sons. And I know that in some churches, leaders can be unwilling for younger people to have any responsibility. Instead, it seems to me that most pastors, not to mention some bishops and popes and presidents, hold on to their leadership until they die, rather than delegating responsibility and willingly passing the torch of leadership on to the next generation. I think we've seen that Barnabas was a great man, but he was not perfect. In Galatians 2.13, we read that Barnabas, along with Simon Peter, was deceived by the Judaizers who wanted the Gentile Christians to first become Jews by being circumcised. Apparently, Barnabas, like Peter, had forgotten the important lesson that Gentiles could become followers of Jesus directly without first being circumcised. Fortunately, Paul opposed Paul opposed them both, and Barnabas and Peter repented and followed the truth. This shows us that even great leaders like Barnabas and Peter here and Paul, who would not, take, who would not give Mark a second chance, even great leaders can make mistakes. We cannot expect our leaders to be perfect. But at the same time, when leaders make mistakes, they need to be humble enough to admit it and repent. How can we become more like Barnabas today? First of all, we need to be an encourager to others, especially to our leaders. Second, 
we need to be willing to take risks to trust in and to disciple and mentor young Christians and be willing to give them second chances. Third, we need to rejoice when others grow to become greater than ourselves. And fourth, we need to be humble to admit when we make mistakes. Joseph the Levite missionary did not write any of the books of the Bible, except maybe Hebrews. But as far as we know, Joseph never wrote any of the books of the Bible. But two of his disciples, Saul, who was also called Paul, and John, who was also called Mark, wrote over half of the books of the New Testament. The names of Paul and Mark are more famous than Barnabas here on earth. But I believe that in heaven, Barnabas will be considered greater. Jesus told us, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be a servant. He also said the last will be first. May we too consider others, whether our colleagues or students or our children, to be more important than ourselves. Perhaps one day we'll also have disciples who become more famous than we ever have been. May our goal not be to become famous or important, but to be faithful and to encourage others to meet and to become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example of Joseph, the Levite, the landowner, who spoke Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, but he was willing to humble himself before the apostles. Lord, we thank you that he humbled himself and was willing to take risks with Saul and with John Mark. Lord, we thank you you called him and Saul to great ministry. Thank you for their example. Lord, even so, they're not perfect, as none of the people in the Bible were perfect except Jesus. But they're good examples to us, people full of the Holy Spirit and of faith who mentored others. Lord, I can't imagine being nicknamed son of encouragement or encourager and then people forgetting my name. But that's what happened to Joseph. Lord, I pray that each of us would similarly be such an encourager that people might nickname us and forget our names. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.